I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question. Your dad's name's Hal, right? Hall. Add an extra L. <laughs> like a hallway. That's what they, your dad's name was Hal, but the New York thing, it was Hall. Is that right? No. Oh, the hall, like down the hall. No. Okay. His, his, his parents were Michigan farm folk, and they named him Hall. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought he it was came Hal. Off a farm. I must have misread that, or, yes. it was, or it was miswritten or something. I don't or know. maybe that was it. No, yeah. it was Hall Overton. I, I wouldn't lie to you about a thing like no, that. No, I believe I, you. I promise you, Vic. No, I'm going to go I'm, on Wikipedia and show you. <laughs> Vic, Vicopedia? You yeah. want to Wikipedia? That's funny. Get I like a pen. That. Get a pen. That's funny. Right I like you going to use that again. Oh, I'll put it on Vic-a-pedia. right there in the computer. That's funny. joke. I like it. What? A new joke? Huh? That's always good. All right. You can go home now. Yeah, it was, this was nice. Yeah. I love the sauna effect. I think oh my God, uh, I lost yeah. a couple of pounds here. <laughs> so uh, you got to know Dizzy Gillespie pretty well as a kid? Mm-hmm. And what was Dizzy Gillespie like? Grandfatherly in a way, cheerful, loved kids, would puff out his cheeks, crack us up. For those who don't know Dizzy Gillespie or listening... Can you give us a little... Jazz musician noted for his weird bent angle trumpet <laughs> that just cants upward. Uh, and his cheeks that just explode outward like uh, like an airbag in a car when he plays the horn. It just The tissue just stretched until that was part of his unique look and sound. And his genius, you know, just it became part of the package. One of the trademark things you would look for during a show. And as a kid, that must have been, that's playful and fun and so visual and, yeah. you know, it's beyond the music. There's a theatrics to it. It's breaking several sets of rules at once, even the visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's all cool. And then, like, because it really shows you, you know, sometimes it's interesting what you will be remembered for and trademarked for. You'd like to think it's just the nuance of your work, but uh, there'll always be someone that just loves that one, that one weird thing you do and nothing else. They ignored all the, the whole other body of your work. And they just love it. They just want to come and hear that one thing. It's like the people that would only see Gallagher smash a watermelon. And I just didn't like when he went to canned goods, you know. <laughs> it's just not as much fun with a can of beans, you know. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> so you got to know, you got to kind of hobnob as a child with some pretty big legends in the jazz world because of your father being uh, not only a teacher at Juilliard, but also a big band arranger. Is that correct? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I hobnobbed, but they'd bounce me on a knee and let Lionel Hampton let me play the vibes, mm-hmm. held me up so I could reach up to get them. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you, how, that, you're not significantly older than me, but I'm curious, you were, it was a very different culture even then, even not that long ago, you were immersed in a, in a black culture. Mm-hmm. Your father's white. Mm-hmm. Did you ever remember seeing any racism going on there? Uh, not from your father, of course, but just no. in general? Well, my dad didn't know any black people when he was raised on the Michigan farm. And he had a neutral opinion about it. He didn't have any opinion. He was just dealing with day-to-day, just get the stuff done on the farm until World War II came. <clears throat> and he wanted to sign up uh, to fly a, a, like a Mustang or a, you know, P-38 or something. And they said, oh, sure, kids, sign here. It's all one army. We can put you in an airplane uh, as, as quick as a tank. And so he signs in and they go, oh, by the way, how tall are you? 
I'm 6'4". Oh, you can't fit in a fighter plane. Okay, we're putting you in the 103rd Army, <laughs> Patton's, you know, beach landing. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, because it was all Army everything. So he was in the Army. And once in the trenches, he was uh, uh, put next to Jewish guys on one side, black guys on the other, all shooting at the Germans, you know. Mm-hmm. So racism gone from if there was ever a... A possibility for it. He didn't. He wasn't thinking in those terms. He was thinking about men, American men, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he gravitated to do things that were outside of the regular what you would be expected to do. When he got out, we met some musician guys, and they got into the USO. And you know, by the time he's out, he's hooked. He's got to keep doing the music after this. He was set. Now you had said that you got interested in music because the comics would be the opening act for the jazz acts. Is that That's correct? right? Really edgy hip comics too, and I don't remember all their names. You know, were you I laughing remember. as a kid? Do you remember? Not that? always, but I saw Dad laughing, mm-hmm. and I went, "Oh, that's what makes Dad laugh." Well, then I'm going to go for that because I want to get Dad to laugh, and I don't want to have to. Look, I don't want to have to chase his legacy because my mother was a musician too. She was one of the Cordettes, Lollipop, Mr. Sandman. Those don't, if you're list, if you don't know Lollipop, it's Lollipop, Lollipop, Lolly, Lollipop, right? Yeah, from the the 50s. And you know, like uh, you'll hear Mr. Sandman playing a lot in things that are supposed to be from the 50s, Back to the Future and all Mm -hmm. that, you know? Mr. Sandman. Yes. Yeah, right. So that's, she was in the group. She wasn't in the original recording of it. But as one of the girls got pregnant and had to get out of the group after that, so Nancy, my mom, came in to fill in for all the road gigs afterwards and met my dad on a gig, you know? And uh, <laughs> then I came along in 54. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in a 54 Chevy. It was no. <laughs> in the, uh, we had a 54 Ford. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing pictures of that. Mm, I, I might have been conceived <laughs> in it, for all I know. Uh are your parents still with us? No, they still, no. no. They're gone. Oh, but, I always hate uh, asking that question, but it's curious. Like, with us. It, I don't know how to say ask that in a tactful In one way. way or another, I would imagine they are. Yeah, well, that's a sure. good answer. So, Yours? Thank God. Yeah. yeah. So Cherish that, man. Yeah. Check in. Oh, I do. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so regarding, you, you see the, st- the stand-up comedy, and then Dad's laughing and you realize mm-hmm. that sounds like fun. Yeah. Did it seem like love, in other words? Because for me, I think that was part mm. of it. You know, uh, approval is love, you bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess in the most simplest reductionist file in your head, boils it down to its little bouillon cube <laughs> of its pure essence, its alchemized gold. <laughs> it goes, just filters down to the white powder the, of love, the yeah. golden powder of love. I think for me, it did. You know? Yeah, doing the, the arts and having any approval in your most expressive creative side, not just your recreative side. It isn't just what you memorized. It's what you made. When you get approval for that, you feels different. It feels different than passing a test. It feels, it feels different from anything that was involved in your memory. It's when you made something and they approved of it. They're approving of a different part of you and you know it immediately. Right. Now, just to be clear... If an actor or actresses memorizes some lines, that is memorizing and learning, but you're talking about the making of the character in front of the camera or the audience, correct? I I would say the difference between you did someone else's words and got approval and you did your own and got approval. More of you got approved of in that. You weren't hiding behind anything else when you did it. 
did which? Your own thing. Yeah. I'm just saying approval for both is great. Right. But. There's an extra something. There's an extra bonus envelope at the end of the one where it was your words. So in other words, like being a stand-up comic. Yeah. Or uh, uh, the author of the thing you did. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're um, wanting to give us a call, the number here is 800-893-9562. That's 800-893-9562. I'm talking with comedian, actor, writer, shadow puppeteer, <laughs> Rick Overton. Let's look. He's making some shadows. That's a peacock. He's back to the peacock. That's the rooster in the, the morning. Rooster. The rooster. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually, that was pretty good. Now let's look at let's look at your oh one thing I wanted to ask you about your credits curb your enthusiasm mm-hmm. you're you're credited with being do you know what it says on IMDb the wasp dude angry gentile angry gentile on the gentile <laughs> side of the household when Mitch is getting baptized but Larry's never seen a baptism and so he thinks they're just drowning a Jewish guy and this <laughs> like it's a Paul Dooley everyone's there you know well both sides of the family <laughs> Cheryl's and Larry's side the wasp and then so I'm one of the patriarchs on the wasp side of the family when Mitch is going to marry the shiksa and he has to switch everything over in the wedding and he has to then convert to her religion Mitch is um was the character's his the actor uh is it uh, the brother Einstein yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Einstein so no, no 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 um damn um, it why am I blanking on his name anyway he, we'll get it if I, I I'll I can't remember myself but it, what was the character's name again Mitch Mitch oh, we'll figure that out no, so apologies, anyways apologies no 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 go on it's embarrassing so, I, I not at all know everyone's so you um ways back. you were the uh you were Again, tell me what you were doing on that. I'm in the wasp side of the household when Larry ruins the baptism because they think he's drowning him. So we all dive in to get everybody out of, and it's at Castaic, but it's supposed to be a moving river, which they had to uh, fabricate with motorboat engines to to push the water just out of frame, anchored motorboats running uh, in place Uh to push, push, push the water along to look like a rolling river Hmm. so that uh, when... uh, you know, if we don't hang on to him, oh, down the river he goes. And so we had to get everybody in and out. And uh, then we go back to the house soaking wet and ruin the wedding. And, uh, you know, comedian David Feldman's in it. Uh-huh. And uh, lots of uh, Hiram Caston's in it. And we're all, and I'm on the other side. And it's just when at the end, Larry's ruined everything. He's uh, framed right in the middle as the wall of wasps goes up against the wall of the Jewish family. And the argument starts. Bum, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. What was that like working on that show? It was a ball. Do you know Larry David personally? I started out many years ago with him. And how does it feel to see his success and participate in it? Oh, it's, it's good. It's encouraging. One of us got in, did good. Is More there, than one. Is there any sense of jealousy? I don't. It is a fair question. <laughs> no, I know. You need that. Keep the lights on. But no, no, keep no. the show running. I but get it. But it is a fair question. No, I mean, it's, sure. it's anyway, a real question. I, 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 I mean, oh, some oh. people do have envy, and I've seen it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Is that not very, how you operate? That's a disaster. It's a path to madness. It's that, catastrophic thinking. Is that something that you it had to learn? It gives you zero back in return for the ton of energy you put in to douche yourself out and do it. I understand it's a human emotion, but if you have any control over what you focus on, you can shrink things like a tumor by ignoring them. And that's one of the behaviors to spend the rest of your life working on ignoring. To own it is to destroy yourself. 
you would you have a chalk aura from that point on. If you don't, if if you just let it run you, rather, if it owns you, is what I meant to say. Yeah, you're done. You just don't know it yet. So you're already finished because you're eating yourself alive, and there'll be just so much of you left. If you're jealous, you'll have a reason to be the rest of your life. The better thing will be driving past you all day, every day. Is this how you came out of the womb? Did you learn this over the years? I mean, there's points when I got jealous about things. And I saw its futility. It's just, it's like, you know, Google Maps and you can crank it out, out, out. You're just looking at the whole continent at once. Yeah. Look at the whole continent of that situation. Don't just look at what street corner it is. Back it out and look at where it's headed. Mm -hmm. Look at the road map all the way to the other side. Look what town it dumped you in. It's a cat. It's a catastrophic thinking, and I know it's fun. Oh, everyone has it. Is that yeah? You have it. Everyone has cancer cells, but we don't all have cancer. Mm-hmm. We alkalize our systems. We do other things about it so it doesn't get the chance to overtake and dominate. Every building has mold, but it doesn't all have. They don't all have a mold problem. How do it's how- like mold that way. It can overtake and just and crush and destroy everything. And it's, it's, it's as smart as cancer is in as much as it destroys the host that it was living on. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately dies when the host falls over. It's not that smart an emotion. It, it's, it's not a great long-term bank investment in, in your personal energy. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I agree. I, I'm curious how, if you have an exercise or a cognitive approach to... If those thoughts come to your mind, is it just not now or I'm not interested or do, is it just you've gotten so used to kind of being trained not to even go there, it, it, those thoughts don't arrive? Yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't dawn on me that much. Yeah, that's great. That the, makes you- the reflex is, is kind of died off. Mm-hmm. It, it'll come back on huge things every now and then. But, it's, uh, eh, you know, it lasts as long as a birthday candle. It's not that big, you know. Right big torch that never goes out yeah the olympics yeah i think that basically um i like to try and operate out of a um a place of abundance so if the world's abundant it's an abundant world there's lots of for everyone yeah just because you know know, just because some other guy didn't get the gig means it just dumps into your lap it's not your frisbee just because the other guy isn't holding it anymore right yeah and it's, it's, you watch it jump to another guy and another guy, and you'll watch the person that you might have been jealous about fail, and now they're sitting with you somewhere because they lost it to something, and you're watching them be jealous again. You realize, oh, it's, it's everyone's turn at some point. Uh, that takes the sting out of its permanence and how long you have to hold on to it. And that, I mean, it's a sum total of different things you can do logically with yourself. To, to put a handle on that trait because it'll destroy, it will absolutely destroy you. And the definition of madness is repeatedly doing something, expecting it to give you a different result and expecting jealousy to suddenly give you a big cheese gift basket at the end. <laughs> You're out of your mind. Yeah. It's taken you down. It doesn't care. It's not smart enough to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got a caller here and I, I, this is great. And I, I want to make a note here because I want to pick up where, where, you, uh, where we just left off. Uh, hello, caller. Are you there? I'm here. Yes, hello. What's your name, please? My name's Phil Stevens. How are y'all tonight? Okay. Did you say you're Phil Stevens? Phil Stevens. Okay, Phil. Well, thanks for calling. you have a question for Rick? I do. Hey, Rick. Uh, hey, Eddie Phil. Murphy or Bill Murray? Uh, re- repeat that again. Who, who or Bill Murray? 
Eddie Murphy or Bill Murray? Um, I've worked with them both. I'm friends with them both. What's the question? <laughs> no, I mean, which one, which one did, you know, do you prefer? Which one did you like? Oh, I love them both. I don't know if I can choose. They both do different things. Great. You know, I mean, uh, Bill Murray is the master of being Bill Murray is different things, but his FDR just blew me away. So, and then Eddie Murphy is a shapeshifter, and, uh, you know, I think his, his Professor Klump is some of the most brilliant work I've ever seen ever in that family. So, you know, I know this is like you got to choose. I don't know. I'm sure I have a choice. You got another question I can help you better with? Are you going to be in the new Beverly Hills? Oh, man. You know what? I was just on the phone with my guys saying, come on. I was the dude in the warehouse. You got to get me back in this here. So if you guys are working on that show, he just nailed it. Yeah, listen to what he said. I should be on the show. You're right. That's Beverly Hills Cop? <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, the TV series. And Eddie's son is going to be a cop in there, too. Oh, good. And he's playing Eddie's kid, too. So he's actually playing his kid. And, if you, if you, and I've seen him. You probably have seen him, too, Rick. The kid is... A, Smashing. And he's and we say a kid, I mean he's probably in his late thirties, maybe early forties even. I mean he's not a child. Mm. You know, he's well, a grown he's, man. He's very talented. I but, love when that works. You yeah, know? and he, he looks like him, he sounds like him. Yeah, the laugh great. is identical. That's I mean, it's, great. It's crazy. Isn't that great? Yeah, he's like yeah. a clown. He's a complete clown. So I know you're right about that. I would really love, love, love to be on the new series and uh, maybe you put put it into the the universe, the zeitgeist, by suggesting it. So I good hope call. It works out, man. I Dude, hope it works out. Dude, you got that was great. You know Thank what? you for the call. Thanks for the reminder. I'm calling about that again tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs> that was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, good man. talking hey, to you. Did you give him a match? Did you give him a match? Yeah. Well, you know, we improvised most of that. Nice. That now, just so to fun. remind everyone Thanks. who's listening and to update them what we're talking about here, uh, Rick was in the film Beverly Hills Cops with um, Eddie Murphy. And I believe we were, you were talking about your work just now about how it was improvised. Yeah, it wasn't completely improvised, but there were moments of it. There were big chunks of it that we, we horsed around with, and they were, okay, do that again. Yeah, I think the... Martin you, Brest was the director. Okay. Do you, is, your, is your experience, because I find this... I love when a director, you, you do it their way, and then they give you the freedom to try totally. it. Totally. You know who else is great with that? Harold Ramis. And he's a great, you know, great in, in, director. Uh, right. When I haven't we, worked with them, but Groundhog I Groundhog Day. He's mm-hmm. a second city man. Mm-hmm. He's a second city guy. Remember from SCTV? How brilliant right, he yes. was on SCTV. So he's uh, he lives in in Highland Park, Illinois. At right. least he used to. I, I don't know right. if he's you know yeah, he went right back, right, right back to his hometown where yeah. he loves it. I saw his office actually. It was downtown yeah, Highland Park. Yeah, Didn't yeah, make yeah, it inside. Yeah. I just looked. Oh, no, it's great. I love it. So yeah. ocean picture. Yeah. So uh, he he loves when you yeah you know the whole flapjack and all that. We're just playing around. You know we we get don't ruin the idea. Get the basic idea out. Right. But you got your way of doing it, and can you do it in this amount of time? Now, you've you, going over your film credits, which I haven't shared yet, Dinner for Schmucks, Bad Teacher, <laughs> Groundhog Day, as we talked about, Beverly Hills Cops, A Fine Mess with my friend Howie Mandel. Howie was great in that, along with Ted Danson. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you think back at the- Blake er- Edwards directed, man. I got to work with Blake Edwards. Now, how did you get that job? I auditioned. Do most of does most of your work today come from auditioning, or does it mostly come from people casting directors and and they just both. know you? Let's both. call Rick in. It's it's uh, I wouldn't say it's half and half, but it's both. Mm-hmm. Mostly there, auditions. Too. Yeah, are you? Would you say that uh, after doing this so long that you have a real, a personal relationship with the casting directors, like yeah. as friends? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say so. You know, yeah. I mean, we we mostly just see each other at the auditions, and you know. 
I'm very, very uh, dear friends with uh, a few of them, though, you know. Like any kind happens. of business, right? I mean... You just know someone long enough, it's going to come up. Sure. Now, a, a new trend, or I don't know exactly how new, but in the last probably five years or maybe a little longer, uh, there are these workshops where a casting director yeah, comes in and then right. the actor pays 40 bucks to get a quote-unquote workshop with the mm. opportunity to be in front of the cast director. And I know people who have been casted out of this. That's right. Do you go to these kind mm. of workshops? I haven't in a while, but uh, I think maybe 20-something a little more twenty years ago, I did a couple of those. Yeah, uh-huh. they become quite popular, and it's now interesting. They're taking off. Are you kidding? It's yeah, it's its own industry. How do you stay on top of your craft? Uh, do you take do you take uh, acting classes or have you I ever? haven't in a while, but I highly highly recommend Brian Reese for cold reading because it, it's it just cold reading done properly is scene study. But at DSL download speed, R E I S E, Brian okay. Reese. And he's Hollywood. in Los Angeles. Is yeah. that right? And his wife, Elizabeth, talks, and they have associate teachers. I used to associate teach for him. And he's wonderful. He's a work getting guy. And by that, I mean you. Mm. Now, uh, me, he's wonderful. Let's talk about Fletch. I was very interested <laughs> about this credit. I did stunts for Chevy in a scene that didn't make it when he's in his full hockey gear. Remember after the hockey game? Yeah. And then suddenly he's back at the office. There's a whole scene with him running across the street in full hockey gear, gear with cars screeching around him. Mm-hmm. And because of his back from falling off the ladder so many times on SNL, it couldn't be Chevy at the time. So, so you, I was, I'm his size. Were you actually a legitimate bona fide stuntman? I mean, no. No, you an extra I, that came in there like, can you... I move funny and uh, I said I did stunts because I have done crazy stuff in episodes and in movies and things like that. I've had stuff blown up. Is that I've why your back is... I noticed no, your back. motorcycle crashes. Really? Yes. Why I've do you ride from, a motorcycle? You I know did. they're dangerous. Oh, now he tells me. Sure, yeah. where were you... Did uh, you read the directions on the thing, the warning label? <laughs> <laughs> they, that's one warning label they do not put on a motorcycle. They're this may to kill? Yeah, that's... They they try to leave that part out. Well, um, no, know, I, uh, I I did stunts for him uh, in full hockey gear, so you couldn't see the face. And at the time, my hair was blonde because I was shooting a movie where I was blonde in something called Odd Jobs. So you had to completely cover my head. The wig wasn't working to be Chevy, mm-hmm. and so I was bleach blonde with Billy Idol hair. Uh, and so they had to put all the gear on. And at the end of the day, after like five takes of walking across the street and skates with the, the pads and the stick and everything. They went, yeah, it's a wrap. And then they looked in daily. So I went, yeah, just put them in the office. You know, what's fun about talking to you about this is I love seeing how excited you get about talking about it because mm-hmm. it's so genuine. Mm-hmm. It's like you're doing this because it looks like it's fun for you. The technical stuff, I like figuring out how it was done. And when I was young, I loved when someone broke it down, sort of took the alarm clock apart for me a little bit, showed me how it worked. And more importantly, they were teaching me how to disassemble. The components will change from clock to clock. The ability to disassemble you take with you. And so you enjoy that in the art? Deconstruction, yeah. Of the character? Of of anything. Mm -hmm. Deconstruct, uh, watch, let it be what it is, and then watch what it does. Then just it's a matter of figuring out the patterns of what it is, and you start to break down what makes that happen. That's what science is. It's just pattern establishment. Did you have you had any formal training as an actor, like any theater uh, classes or? I just stuff in school, you know, and uh, studied uh, at Herbert Berghoff Studios in New York for a little bit, and then was a lot of it at, learning uh, on the job. Yeah, you know, 
And I think Shortcut was being in stand-up during the crest of the beginning of the boom. Mm-hmm. And when we were starting to be recognized that we can be on-camera actors as well. And uh, they started to then really flock to the comedians for acting stuff. And I was just, dumb luck again. There's, I was just standing there when it happened. Yeah, well, you actually have to have talent, too. Well, I know what you're saying. But that's luck, too. Yeah, I get you what you're saying. Now, you had a lot of cohorts who ended up with probably their own series because that was a very... Um, now, you appear to be, from what I saw online, good friends with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he one of your classmates, so to speak? Well, he's. Uh, uh, we started roughly the same time, you know, in the early 70s and uh, met up in the later 70s at Catch a Rising Star and then became a friend, uh, been friends and we did improvs together and we sort of, now we're known for, we go up on stage and we play for like an hour and stuff all the time. That's great. Improv for me, uh, as far as at least being an audience member, it's so... It's so hit and miss. I mean, even as, and when I've performed, it's hard to guarantee a great improv scene, right? I mean, or with you and Robin, is it always a guaranteed home run every time? I don't know about every time, but a lot of the time. You've got a good success rate. That's why it's, you know, it's daring. You might not get every one of them out of the park. It's not like a completely rehearsed thing. But how often a completely rehearsed thing? You didn't call all the right laughs and all the right jokes there either. Yeah. This is the brand new one. And I think audiences like when they're watching something sort of adrenal and brand new and the risk of it, you know. We haven't seen my comedy, but uh, my style, a lot of it, I mean, I tell jokes, but I really love the experiential uh, thing. Where, Interaction. Yeah. And because for me, there's something just magical for that audience yeah. because it's happening now. Right. And even exactly. if it's a little planned, sometimes it's not planned at all. Yeah. But uh, for me as a performer, but... It makes it a little bit harder to sell that, uh, like on a set on Conan or something. Totally, that's they're they're opposing worlds that way. Right, they don't want it. No, they don't want it because they, they want, want to know it. everything that's going to happen. They every want absolute solo. control of every sound out of your mouth. You Have know? you done late night? Any late night stuff? Not for a while. Yeah. Have you really go look at a YouTube of what I do, uh, right. audience? Yeah. And then ask yourself, what show? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to do it, but well, you know, I kind of I do what, what I do. Uh, I, 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 I kind of play with things a little harder at times. And, you know, you think I you're use, too opinionated? Well, I think not good for commercial the, advertisers. You don't see the topics I joke about showing up on TV very mm-hmm. much. It's mostly having kids and what it's like at home, and you know, eating at a certain place and. A lot of recurring themes in that way, you know? Right. But so they feel it's more relatable to more of the viewers who are home with their kids. Mm-hmm. And I get it, you know. And I don't really represent that world very well. But there was a time in your career where you were going there earlier. Yeah, yeah. Earlier on I was. Okay. Until my style sort of switched over to, I guess, you know, they say you're supposed to write what you know. Mm-hmm. What happens when you switch what you know? <laughs> it's called getting older. Yeah. But then you got to write that. Mm-hmm. Or not write that and live with yourself. Were you finding kind of an inner conflict between at some point? about? I got a lot of conflicting advice about it. And when you want to get on the show, can't, yeah. you just be, can't you just do like a, a set about, you know, this food or that airline or something like that? Just get one out so you can get on. Because, you, you know, they say, well, you can make anything work. Yeah, I don't want to make anything work. I want to make the act that would have made me laugh work if I'd seen someone else do it. 
Except I'm the one thinking of it. I mean, I think your act at its height is your opinions with jokes. Well, there are some... Whether you play it arch in reverse like Sarah Silverman does. She plays a person who is, you know, completely amoral at times. Which, But you see what she's parodying and in reverse it means she's highly moral. Mm-hmm. And she's actually leaving a, a very important message about how humans treat each, other, treat each other by acting like the person that doesn't do it right. Mm-hmm. Very brave, yeah. you know, brilliant. Yeah, that's interesting. That's great insight. We, uh, I brought, a, I pulled a clip, and I have a hunch, and I'm looking forward to hearing your assessment of this clip. But I have a feeling this was coming from a little bit of your earlier comedy, not like the earliest. But it's there's a joke we pulled that could have been, I think, on Late Night. Let's hear it. Uh, can we roll that, Jeremy? Peter Townsend from The Who. Oh, yeah. He's completely deaf now. Golly, I can't imagine how that might have happened. his ears are like a couple of blown out Chevy speakers. His manager comes into the dressing room and it's like... (laughs) I think that's Rick Overton of yesteryear. (laughs) <laughs> that's such a great As trumpet talk through so trumpet funny. lips that's the secret kids talk through your trumpet lips off the but it, it's a big laugh when the second right. i heard that i lone speaker hard. ears yeah it's funny eggs well I, at that point i'd been pretty actively motorcycling and i was starting to get blown eardrums so there were periods of time when sounded things like sounded like that to me which is how i related to it okay well, yeah. is, is that a, was that a joke Rick Overton would do today? I like calling you, you're the third person. But would you do that oh, joke yeah. today? yeah. You know, I still do. I, not everything I do is all social all the time. I still think of little weird things. And you mix it in and pepper it, you know? Now, I could be absolutely wrong, of course, on this. But mm-hmm. when I listened to that, I heard a little bit of Steve Martin. Am I just hearing things wrong? Or not in the 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 presentation of like, you know, it was very big. And am I, am I do you, you I don't guess. hear that? I, could be. It's or, fun and big oh, and kind of well, silly. Oh, I was talking and, like this. Because he would kind of, yeah, right. I mean, they just oh, felt. I've got the crazy feet, uh, the, the happy it's feet. Just, it's because I love Steve Martin, you know. Oh, you know, so, I hadn't thought about that. I'm going back and watch it. Maybe it snuck in there somehow. Just, I didn't realize that. Well, you know, you try to be original, but there's only so much you can do. Well, I'm not suggesting it's unoriginal. I just thought it, it, it was fun for me because, I, like I said, I yeah, love Steve Martin and, and the sure. joke itself is really funny. Oh, thank you. Now, you're... Uh, I love this question. I've asked it to a few of our com- the comics here. Um, my style of writing comedy, uh, I heard this a long time ago, is uh, th- to use the truth as a springboard and not as an anchor. Now, meaning a lot of comics get very married to the truth to the point that they killed the joke. Yeah, totally. They're so married to the truth. that's not what happened. Right, exactly. That's like a n- new comic. How would you? No, man. I'm supposed to do the truth, and that's where my act is going. Right. Or you hear the comic often go, "No, this really happened," which I could give a shit about. Just make me laugh. I mean, I don't. You know. Right. I'll believe anything you tell me on stage. That comic will go on to do a one man show. Okay. Called me, me, and my indulgent (laughs) bullshit problems. You know. 
Well, um, what what's your style in, in, in regard to that springboard and anchor and and I think it truth. depends on the truth you're telling. Uh, but uh, sometimes, like I do a bit about saying, you know, what happened to us, man? I'm an old hippie. I remember the people used to join hands, and when we linked, we were able to stop wars in a, in their track. We were able to fire presidents. It worked. The hippies linked hands, and it worked. And we broke apart. And now we can't get back together again, and I don't know why. Hang on, I got a funny bit about that. And I pull my cell phone out. I turn it on. And then I just turn my back on the audience and start dicking with the phone for Mm -hmm. like about 45 seconds. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot you were there, you know. And this, uh, right. So (laughs) the truth of it is, you know, they laugh hopefully at the, the recognition of the fact that we all have been dragged apart by this little lit gadget. And I say, the reason we love it is because it's lit. And everything alive loves everything lit. I mean, a bug will die for it. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't get, zzz. I know the rest. Uh, and I say, it's the only reason you're looking at me right now. I'm well lit and you're not. Without this particular arrangement, I'm just some moron in the corner of the room talking to himself be, right now. That's great. It would be funny in that bit. Uh, Turn you, the lights out. Well, on that, right? Well, I, that's no, wait, wait, but I can't find anyone on the panel for that part of the show because they don't want to wait the whole show. Or a spot, put a spot on some stranger in the audience and go, now you're watching him. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. you lose the spot another, on you. There's another twist on it. And you go, it there. now we're looking. Uh-huh. You know, especially if you pick out like hey. a funny looking. You know, but the trick is I got to get a follow spot. Most clubs you need don't a follow have spot. That. Yes, you of know, course. Ten k, yeah. we got to bring it around. You definitely and, need a spot. Yeah, on yeah. But if, if I thought it was going to bring me enough yield that we could use it for more than one guy and stretch it, and that's like worth renting and you it or buying it, do a callback to that person too well, throughout that's the show. Not a bad idea. Is it such a great observation? Thank you for that. Yeah. No, and also, uh, you know, you want to do, uh, do you want to do another HBO special or some kind of thing? No, I'm all done. What (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I want to do another HBO special. HBO, come on, you're the guys that let the dangerous ones talk. Come on, I'm still here, you know, I mean... uh, well, 58 years old, that ain't the end of the world. Well, you, you know, the, the thing that's interesting also about you is you, you're very open about your age, and that's such a non-Hollywood thing. Yeah, well, you just have a look at me, you can figure it out. You know? I would have thought 57. Yeah, Heinz, the Heinz yeah. age. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Varieties, 57 varieties. Yeah. Uh, no concern about um, ageism in Hollywood saying Well, what am age? I going to do at this point? <laughs> that's, not, that's not my battle anymore right. is worrying about that it's got to be someone who knows and needs this category you know mm-hmm. and what is your category uh character actor i do lots of dialects i do you know uh sort of a the 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 jerk boss the idiot cop that's kind of bread and butter for me i do a lot mm-hmm. of those your eyes light up on that is yeah. that fun for you it yeah. looks like it would be oh i get a lot of that kind of work why is it that that's fun for you that particular role I'm good at playing a dick. Uh, by a dick, I mean a cop. He's not always. Oh, I a, thought the smartass, no, not the cops are dicks. Not but. a smartass so much. I don't sell smartass because I'm too big. Mm. Smartass sells better in a smaller package. The bigger you are, the more you have to play a dope. Okay. And so, like giant, the big stupid guy. Mm-hmm. I get the sort of FBI shave it down to a mustache or the CIA version of that or the the police detective version of that. I got lots of that work. Okay. So I've sort of refined how that works. And people say, do you want to be typecast? I go, on this? Yeah, totally typecast me. Keep calling. <laughs> how, how aggressive yeah. do you get? Like we, the caller was talking about Beverly Hills Cops, the TV series. And you, yeah. you said tomorrow. Well, I, 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 look, I, said, I already sent one note about it. Do you, do you look at, do you read the trades every day? 
I, every now and then a friend calls me, yes, or a friend calls, man, you got to get on this. I just read this. And then so a buddy will alert me. I have a good network of friends that call when there's the right thing for Overton, you know. What do you, what, and I call for them when I see the right thing for them. That's what kind of agent, what kind of agent do you have? Where do you have an agent? I'm, I'm, I have, my agency is, uh, they're called, uh, RPA and they're great. Okay. You've been with them a long time. Yeah. You seem like a loyal guy. Yeah. I, I play the loyalty and sometimes I played it to a fault. It hasn't always been my best friend to have done so, but that's the way I'm raised, man. And sometimes you got to live with some of your, some of your ethics past, whether in an unethical time, it works all the time. Doesn't well, in this, always, in this you business. Gotta, yeah, in this business in particular, you got to you don't want to lose yourself, and losing yourself is when you start to cave to the rules of the people who banged you over. What do you mean I banged you over? You got fucked over, and they okay. they didn't do you right, and then you finally figure, well, fuck it. If that's how everyone does it, I'll be just like them. Can't beat them, join them. Yeah, you just lost yourself. Mm-hmm. Scratch another one for the town. Chuck one off for yourself. You just became them, you know, and you just, and you just you're diving into a mosh pit of morons. A lot of people in the business look back at a role that they thought if they had been cast in, it would have changed their life. It was between me and the other guy. They went with the other guy. Hmm. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, I think it's happened a few times. I was up for SNL a bunch of times. I lost it once to Charlie Rocket. Who then got let go. Earlier, I lost my team. I mean, my team was up for it, but Franklin and Davis did it, you know. So, uh, mm mm-hmm. I've been up for some things. Any, any, uh, the SNL. In the, in That's how, a big one. That's a bunch of years ago. That's how did time. you handle that? I was sad. Did you enter? Did you audition? But here's the goal. I yeah. wanted SNL to put me into movies. I got into movies, so it's okay. Do you think it came out as a result of that audition? Mm. No, I don't know. I guess little decisions come out of every little thing that comes and goes. And you make a little, I'll change this, I'll fix that, I'll put my chest out bigger, or I'll be more whatever, you know. Where is Rocket right now? What's his name, Johnny Rocket? Charlie Rocket's <laughs> gone. He's no longer with us. He passed away. Yes, he did. Now, is it correct that he also was on a live Friday night show and he swore live? It was on SNL. That was on SNL. He said That's the right. F word? Yes, he was doing a JR sketch. Who shot JR from, you know, Dallas? And he said, who the F shot me? Live. And, yeah, and then he was gone the next day. Yeah. As was, well, as was J- oh, J- JR. Wait, no, JR, did he? Yeah, he killed Ewing, JR. Yeah, right. JR Ewing Not was uh, uh, Larry Hagman. No, he, right. was, he was around for quite some but time. But the character We just was lost dead. Hagman shortly, <laughs> uh, recently. We just okay. lost Hagman. Yeah. So um, did, you, did you actually audition for Lauren Michaels? Yeah, himself? The, yeah. Whole, the whole spiel. What yeah. was that audition like? It was, was nerve-wracking. You do characters and you just try to get a laugh and they kind of, hmm. Did you create characters just for the audition? Yeah, you know. I did some of my stand-up, which had characters in it too. And how, how quickly did you find out the decision? Or was it- well, you know, a week and a half. Something like that. So that would be- A few days. That would be one, obviously you're over it. You don't look back, right? Like what would have been or, it's kind of done, Right. Yeah, you don't dwell on it so much because you got a lot of tomorrow in front of you that it's stacking up. You're backing up like luggage that didn't make it through the tassels and it just starts bunching up and dumping off the rack on the other side because it's like too, it won't make it through. Uh, that's what your present will do if you're looking the wrong way. You're looking over your shoulder while present, you're tripping over everything that comes because you're not looking forward anymore. So you obviously have a psychological oriented mind. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever thought about being a speaker 
Uh, I have. It, you do, know what? Do you speak? Recently, too. Wait, when you say I have, that means you have been a speaker or you've been thinking about it? Well, you know, uh, a lot of times when I'll teach improv or when I teach something, I'll sneak a lot of this stuff in. Because I think that there's never a point when they don't all connect. It's just mm -hmm. we don't bother to, which is different. But I think everything is all, all connecting the whole time. How much of being an actor or an artist is also being a good self-analyst or psychologist? Mm. Doesn't Not necessary for everyone. And some of them are terrified of analyzing because once they crack it, they think what makes them messed up is what's going to be the only thing that keeps the candle lit for their funny, you know. And it ain't broken. I don't want to fix it because if I fix it, it might go away. Then my neuroses was the, was the furnace that drove the locomotive up the hill, you know. And uh, so a lot of guys are terrified to, to break that part. But I don't think you need the suffering to make art the whole time. I think that's a myth suffering people have built around how they continue on. When you look back, a lot of uh, actors, artists have had a, a lot of ups and downs. And yeah. with that comes a lot of uncertainty, mm -hmm. financial insecurity, mm -hmm. uh, self-doubt mm -hmm. and, and pain. Uh, now, of course, that's just part of it. No one would stay in it if that's all there were. But how do you deal with that part of it for yourself? Uncertainty. Creati creativity yeah. is the out. It's, you know, you, you want to come from a place of abundance? Yes. Creative right. abundance is the first source. Everything else manifests afterwards. But your abundance is first and foremost what you can make, not what you can buy what you can manufacture, even in the reality of your life and the, the, the rewrite pages of your script of your life, the day-to-day -day life, if that's how you add your creativity. But wherever it goes, stay creative because you fall into deep, profound depression when you're not being creative. Have you ever had to deal with depression? Well, it, in moments. Yeah. Not a, a pervading whole time thing. And the way out is creativity. As long as you find something creative that used the right half of your head, you will get out of depression. Well, the paradox is when one is so depressed, it's, it's all nearly impossible if they've gotten to that place. And yeah. then you just have to force it, right? Mm. You can let it get bad. It's like being incomprehensibly out of shape. And then you see them a year later and they look great. Mm -hmm. But what did they have to go through? It's not the same thing as a pretty, pretty in shape guy gets great. It wasn't that big a deal. But the obese guy gets buff. He went through every manner of agony to do it for the result. Not everyone is going to have the fortune of that resolve, mm -hmm. you know. So once again, there's the luck factor. Do you think you have a, a DNA, uh, maybe not only the, the genetics, but also how you were raised, the environment you're in, that gives you a bit of a um, positive spirit? No. Lucky to have cool parents that way. Mom was a very powerful force that way, you know. She was. Uh, I apologize. Uh, just so you know, Rick, I'm yeah, looking, looking over the there. Timer, just, counting it down. We got twelve. Yeah, and I and got it's it. going really fast. But that's what I'm looking at. Just, no, I'm with you. It's not disinterested. I know how you. the machine works. <laughs> okay. You know how the gadget works. Yeah. Uh, but you're saying your mother was was very positive uh, for us, and you know, dad, dad could be at times, but he was always trying to shake World War II out of his head. Mm. And that's why he drank so much. He just couldn't sleep sometimes without drinking a lot you know this, i don't know a lot about world war ii but was this the invasion of normandy is this this uh -huh. is the big beach yeah, thing right. where everyone you know, was private getting shot. ryan and yeah right yeah. wow so uh he uh you know 
he he drank like the other guys did that all went there because it was they didn't have ten other ways for you to get to sleep back then. It was the madman time of a martini, you know. Right. Yeah, and got him early. He died at fifty-two. Wow. Took him early. Was it alcoholism? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. That's a shame. Yeah, just that you know the rot gut they give you in a jazz club while you're playing. Keep feeding the drinks up to the piano player. It's so young. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm older than he. he. He yeah. was, you know. I got no page to flip to for what it looks like next anymore. You got to write your own. Another reason to start improvising again. Get good at it so that's your friend. Hmm. Make improv your friend. The help me, save me Superman that shows up and gets you out of any mess. Now that, do you mean literally the comedic improv or are you talking about the improvisation of living life? No, both. It should add to the, it, it should blend over. Yeah. You'd be a great, I think you'd be a great coach. Well, I'm thinking about a TED Talk. I think, about, you know, uh, you've got such... Doing a TED Talk about how uh, uh, this, uh, you know, your creativity I think is it's, needed everywhere. Well, I think it's really interesting now, because you do really, you say things that make sense and are so practical. And I don't think one has to be an actor or an even, you know, you could be... I'm a practor. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I, there's something else I was thinking when I like a proctologist or pra- a proctologist. <laughs> uh, you could use the, that. The you wanted, I got it loaded. Good, sent. good, good. Um, <laughs> good. <laughs> so uh, you're a you, pragmatic asshole, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that, but that, that, yeah, that psychological um, part of you is very interesting. Well, it's the deconstruction. It's the taking the clock apart, you know. And then you don't get to do that for free. You're supposed to share that with whoever, you know, you're supposed to share it. Now, you don't have children, is that right? No, I don't. I don't have any kids. Has that been a choice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I spend time just meeting people. And everybody gets a little sampling. I think I can maximize the spread of it by not having to come home and check in on anybody personally and give more than two-thirds of the time to that, which would be the right way to do it. Any regrets on it or think yeah, you might There's times or? when Uncle Rick wishes, you know, and I don't really, I'm not a real uncle, but, you know, friends who have kids call me Uncle Rick and I have a little fun with the rascals and get them to laugh, which is always a huge accomplishment, you know, to, to do a thing that makes a jaded modern kid laugh. Um, <laughs> but I find that reward must be what a parent goes through in some degree, you know. And I think my parentalness, my parental drive has a it's but some people have a giant bucket they need to fill and they adopt hundreds of kids and cats and dogs and horses and i got a little shot glass and it fills pretty quick with just helping uh, someone with advice or just doing something kind of fatherly in some way and then walk away beaming and just whatever you feel that was it that, uh, look a little, little glass is full it'll hold me a while is not having a child uh, one of the personal sacrifices of uh, being uh, an artist in the way you've chosen? Or uh, I, I know I've, I've seen I know artists who have done it with a kid. They wanted it more than I did. Mm-hmm. They wanted their own kid more than I do. I, I don't mind it not look at the child not looking or sounding like me or having anything to do with where I'm from. And I think I can give them the same data. Well, I think where I'm getting at is um, what have the personal costs been? I know what the rewards have been. I can probably guess pretty easily, but some of the costs to choosing this type of career. Yeah, you know, I, it's important to like your own company for the times when there's no one there to give you any approval. But once again, your friend, your compatriot, 
your savior through all of this will be the ability to create. That opens up a hope and a possibility of the next day or the next moment. And to repeat and repeat and repeat kills hope on the next moments. What do you mean by to repeat? To repeat? Someone just does one of those jobs where you're just in the movie Metropolis pulling that lever and the steam hell of the, you know, the bowels of the earth factory with the marching people. Right. Uh, the uniformity of what you have to do every day and you're doing it for someone you hate and you just got to write this and deliver it there and all that stuff, you know, and it's like it's the opposite side. And unless you got a karaoke or a blog or something where the other side of your head gets going, it'll crush you. To just use the left side of your head will crush you. That's what all the alcoholism in Japan is about. That's what karaoke in Japan is about. Their their individuality gets destroyed uh, in their workplace. And that was their imitation of us. Cut straight to the complete robotization of the worker, you know. Mm -hmm. And then just maybe the culture will sort out how it accommodates you as soon as you leave the workplace. And it's kind of got this weird deviant effect because of the, the pressure of the steam blowing out through that tiny cappuccino opening there of what's left for you to be expressive with. And they, they're like got little girls underwear dispensers on the subway. And like, come on, look what happens when you sit on someone like that. They come out all crazy otherwise, you know. Bukkake films. Yeah, Bukkake Well, films. that's the positive. Jeez. That's the that's positive. The, that's the upside, everybody. And hey, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, only be, them would come up. Yeah, only they would yeah, have that. Yeah. Be an extra in one of those. And <laughs> there's a credit for you in your resume. I'm, I'm, I'm Gentile. I'm, because, like, <laughs> I'm Dick number 18. <laughs> uh, I always find it interesting to talk to people about, um, and I believe everyone has an obstacle, at least one, something that got in the way or that they they survived. What What has been in your life was it losing your father at such a young age? Sure, that was um, one of them. Losing my mom just in 09 was pretty rough. You know, my best, my other best friend. Uh, I got attacked in the face by a dog. I'm going to scar it up in the mouth. And um, When did that happen? In 07. And uh, so I got to wear a little face fuzz and just better start owning the character that has the face fuzz because until we can come up with a surgery to fix it and best, you know, and you look, stars have these big mangled up things, you know. And so You have an actual visible scar mm, on your face. It's, yeah, you can see. So it's not like you just have a little dog bite. You were, no, ma no, you no, were no, mauled no, by a dog. A, a little bit, a bit out of part that swallowed it, yeah. Right. And how did that affect you emotionally? Yeah, it was pretty rough. I was worried. But then I got the movie The Informant right afterwards with Soderbergh and uh, Matt Damon, who I think is some of his most extraordinarily brilliant character work ever. And uh, then I got Year One, you know, with Jack Black, Harold Ramis, and so that was fun. And so, uh, you know, kind of boosted my confidence. I can work with this situation. Was the scar visible? Well, you'll see if you rent, rent okay. The uh, Informant and have a look. you see it. That's, that's my first testing of my face without the fuzz because I had to play a real guy that didn't have a beard. So that's it. So you've had some challenges. Well, sure. Everybody gets them. It's yeah, I do, agree. I know. mean, but those are the challenges. You've, yeah. You know, I'm sure there are many. Nuts and bolts, real, real stuff, you know. Well, I don't know if you've read the book, The Le uh, Road Less Traveled. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the first sentence in that book is life is difficult. It is. You know, damn that Newton and his theories. Just gravity sucks, you know. But without it, you'd never find your car. 
You I float why away. You float- <laughs> Every damn car. I, I, was, I left it right here. I still can't find my car. That's why I was, I was blown. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the wind blew it away. <laughs> I, I take pictures of where I park because I never oh, can find yeah, it. Especially yeah, yeah. as I do that too now. Yeah, it's not because I yeah. love my car. It's because I'll never remember. No, which six buck, buck lot is it in, right? Oh, that too. Yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. Uh, what do you, what's the future look like for you? Well, the podcast is fun. I've got a couple Where can of people things hear that uh, on iTunes. It's called Overview with Rick Overton. And I have some really fun uh, interviews that, you know, also get into the depth and the psychology. And I really like the way you, you know, you get into it because that's in my way what I, I, I'm trying to deconstruct and make this a, a piece of information that a younger mind can hear and start to figure out where their place in this game is because artists know this. Unless you are helping to foster your own next generation, you don't have a place to return to soon. Mm, It won't just wait for you at your age group. You've got to make sure the young ones know and are still keeping it running and you can return to it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist without them. It's the same as farming. It doesn't just end with your crop. Right. No, that's great. We're really close to finishing up here. And I I really am curious, you know, you've got this incredible list of credits. You really do. And it's impressive. You're obviously talented. You've been doing this a long time. You've worked with major stars. There is not the Rick Overton show. (laughs) Tell me about it. There's not Matt Damon with Rick, you know, and Rick Overton (laughs) starring in. (laughs) Not yet. Now, what is su- what is success to you, and would you say you've achieved it? Well, I, I think in many ways I've achieved what I will file in my heart as a, a long list of, of successes that are mixed with the luck that got me to have them. And uh, there's some I would still like to have, and I don't want to live in regret for the ones that have not occurred yet. But... Uh, you know, because there's just so many opportunities to go around and uh, someone else, it was their turn. You got to realize you're surrounded by millions of people with similar goals that agree and want everything you want. And some of them got ahead of you. You just have to accept the math of that. It's just the way the line works. Sometimes they jump around on the line. And the more you know who you are and the more you really shine and individuate, the more you'll stand out on that line. When you say individuate, are you talking about who the character I will play, the actor knows that? Or are you talking more about who they are as a human being and their the purpose less, on earth? The less you're trying to look like what you think they want, the more you just are what you are. Okay. The right work will come to you because they'll cast based on that. And you'll feel more comfortable doing it because it is cast based on what you are. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always work that way. And I'm telling you, as a character actor, I still know this. They'll give you the character if you know who you are more in that character. And knowing who you are more comes from knowing your opinions. That's who you are, is your opinions. And that's why they say it takes a comic 10 years. You're just forming your opinions in 10 years. That's the part you know. You know yourself better. That's the part you know. And when you write that, that's your act at its height. Okay, I wish we could talk more. I'd I'm love to have you back. I'm liking it, man. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, this is great well, stuff. Well, Vic, we'll continue. We could talk all, all night. We, I, got, we got more to cover. Thank you very much, Rick Overton. I want to thank all of you for listening again. This has been Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. I look forward to hearing you again. Find us on iTunes, okay? And uh, have a great 
night. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question.